Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Weightlifting Scoop. And we are having our follow-up episode with Tom Maloney and Walt Neubauer. Uh, we're going to have a great show today. We're going to talk about, you know, five or six more things. And uh, I think we have a couple of really neat things to uh, pull from that we didn't have last episode. Uh, so we're looking forward to it. Uh, Tom, how's it going? Ah, it's doing very good. And uh, thank you for having me again. I hope that I can provide your listeners with information that they can immediately use when they go to their workouts. Yeah, that's definitely the goal. You know, we try to give people this, uh, the scoop on all things weightlifting. So, you know, when it comes to the mental side, the physical side, and, you know, history, all that kind of stuff. So over time, we've gone through a lot of different things. And uh, so Walt, what's going on, man? Everything, Trev. Uh, long time no see. We just kind of left the gym, got home, and jumped on here. So, uh, yeah, no, ready to have this talk and always enjoy talking with Tom. Yeah, for sure. Thank so, you. Uh, so, Tom, we have a nice little outline here and uh, a couple things that we wanted to follow up on. First of all, just to recap, we were uh, you know, we were discussing the Way to Gold, the documentary, and some of the struggles that people have when it comes to the mental side of weightlifting. Um, and and so we wanted to follow that up and, and with some other bullet points that we didn't get to, particularly the first one is not showing weakness, like um, why some athletes wait so long before seeking help. Um, you know, I guess they're they're maybe scared of showing weakness. So you kind of want to jump right in and Walt and I'll just be on the sidelines ready to uh, bombard you with questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, it, it's actually um part of our DNA to not show weakness. Uh, in nature, uh, weakness is literally a dinner bell to predators. Uh, when you're in school and you start out, uh, you're younger, uh, weakness is who people focus on to bully. So we're taught very early to not show that weakness. So it's part of our DNA uh, to not let anybody else know that we're struggling. Um, as we develop relationships, yes, we will open up uh, uh, to those people, uh, but some of those people don't have, uh, you know, the answer to uh, uh, the questions that that person is, is asking. And it's tough to go to a total stranger, sit in an office and go, let me tell you my life story. Now, some people, yeah, they're, they're an open book, but others, they've been taught to stay quiet, don't say anything, just endure. So it really depends on the person. But that is something uh, in the, uh, the Weight of Gold, the, the HBO series or the HBO show. Um, I, it's not unique uh, to elite athletes. All of us can relate to that, uh, is not being uh, willing to show weakness because it will draw bad attention to us. And nobody wants that. So just be aware that it's not something that it's showing a fault. It's exactly the way we're, we're brought up uh, is to not show that weakness or you will be punished. And okay. All right. <laughs> so you're not broken. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people are scared to show weaknesses, uh, especially when it comes to uh, the mental side of things, or even, you know, in, in a sport, if you're going to a competition, you don't want to show uh, a physical injury if you're dealing with it. Um, because, you know, you think people will judge you automatically, right? They'll just kind of pounce on you. So if people know that, uh, you know, it's funny, it's like, it's almost like people are wolves sitting on the sidelines, just waiting for you to like trip so that they can make fun of you. And that, that's at least how we perceive it. Right. So how do we, how yeah, do we and it, it, get through this? It, it also changes the game plan. Um, this is why professional sports don't like to talk about their athletes that are injured. It's because if I know there's somebody has a weakness, I'm going to exploit that weakness. And that's how I'm going to win the competition. So it is not to my advantage, once again, to show weakness. Because I'm basically giving the game plan how to beat me. I don't want to do that. So, you know, it's, there's, 
definitely a reason why you don't want to show weakness, but I want the, the listener to know that that's not a sign of, of a problem. That is our DNA. That's perfectly natural and, and it's fine. I have no problem with not wanting to show weakness. So to flip that just a little bit, you know, um, from the coaching perspective in front of the athlete, instead of the athlete perspective, um, I guess that's where it's, it's really, um, important for me, like as a coach to build a good relationship with my athletes where they trust me. So that if there is a time when, when something, when, when they're struggling or they need something, they could come to me and I can direct them, um, in, uh, the correct direction to seek, uh, the help that they need, but are there any other additional strategies or anything else um, that coaches can be on the lookout for to identify, you know, some, some behavioral, you know, becoming more introverted or becoming more extroverted. What are some of the cues that coaches could look at to see that maybe uh, there's something going on? Uh, well, the, the, to answer the question about uh, the, the change in personality, uh, yeah, obviously that you're going to notice something. Uh, and that's why Walt is such a great coach. He, he's taking the time to learn his athlete before he starts trying to do a technical side. Uh, he knows, okay, is this a physical that I need to work on or is this a mental? So excellent advice is to, to learn your athlete uh, and be aware of if there's changes, that is an indication. Uh, they could become quiet. Most of the time, they're quiet. Um, they, they, you know, they don't go to their social circles, and that's natural. When we're injured, um, just like an animal, they don't go out and, and play. It's like if you have a, a, a cat or a dog, when they get sick, what do they do? They, they go to the corner. Uh, they're, they're not as, as, uh, as active. So if you're noticing a decrease in um, social activities or uh, is smiling, that's an indication that, hey, there might be a problem with them having a weakness, something going on. Uh, and because you've opened up uh, the relationship and you've demonstrated that you're not going to use this uh, to, to hurt them, you're there to help them. Um, you're aware of it and you can open up the door, start the lead in question, hey, what's going on? And just don't accept, fine, keep probing, keep finding, digging a little bit more about, well, you know, I'm noticing that you're a little bit more withdrawn. Is, is there, uh, you know, something going on with the family? You know, give them some questions that they can answer uh, and hopefully they will lead you to uh, what the problem is, and then we can start developing a plan. But yeah, coaches, uh, most coaches will notice their athletes have, have an issue. Uh, a change in personality is, is a, a definite example of, yeah, we've got a problem. Uh, you know, they've got some kind of weakness, uh, and they're, they're not wanting to talk about it. Well, I'm the leader, I'm the coach, I'm going to go ahead and ask questions. And even if they get a little bit annoyed, I'm going to keep probing. If they don't want to answer it, I'll let them go for that day. But I'm going to come back the next day and, and ask that question because it's clearly something I don't want to have all the time. And if I can help them, it, it's part of team building. Uh, sometimes you, you, you get some advice from a, a teacher or somebody, a mentor. And at that moment that it made a big deal to you, you didn't thank them. You kind of just took it, we were quiet, and, and went away. It's later that you find out that, yeah, you hit the mark. Uh, so as a coach, yeah, keep probing. Um, because it is something, if you notice it, it's something that is probably you're correct. Because you've been in it for a very long time. Uh, you know what to look for. Yeah, I think in terms of the athlete, like, you know, it's natural for the athlete to not want to speak up um, when they don't feel like, uh, you know, someone's on the same team with them. Right. But if they know that they have a supportive group around them. So the first part is to make sure that whoever 
this is, this athlete, this person, they know that, okay, we have a support system here of a group of people that are here to help you. And they have to really like understand that first. So it's natural to not want to open up, but then they're more willing to, and probably have the ability to open up to their team, you know, and, and I'm not using that as like their weightlifting team or their uh, team on the field. It's just the people who are rooting for them, whether that's family, friends, people actually on their team, et cetera. Is that kind of what, what we're getting at, Tom? Yeah, it, it's one of the things, especially in, uh, you know, at the elite level, we're competing for one spot. So, you know, you don't want to talk to the players uh, because those are the same players that are competing for the spot. I mean, we're nice and we're, we're you know, we've got a, a, a relationship and we're friendly, but uh, this is an area that, yeah, you're, this is your competition. You know? There's only so much I want to tell my competition, even though we're friends. Uh, no, that's not, I'm not comfortable with giving them all my dirt. <laughs> so so this, is, this is definitely reality. Like people don't want to show weakness, but I guess, you know, from your perspective, when you work with people, um, do you think that like showing weakness is really important to getting your job done? Um, if you're struggling, uh, it, it, for some people, it, it's motivation. Uh, if they can't figure it out, it, that's the drive. I will keep doing it until I figure this out. So it, it's teaching them, um, perseverance, tenacity, you know, they, they keep working at it, working at it, but if they can't get it and they're now they're going the other way, which is they're now destructive, they're depressed they're, you know, angry, um, then, yeah, they, they, they probably will come out and, and ask you, hey, I got this problem. Uh, but it, it could, I like, if, if somebody doesn't uh, talk to me about weakness, uh, but they keep fighting, uh, I like that too. It's, it's they're, they're working to make themselves better. It's that inner drive that I want to see, because I can't, make you do something you got to want it and this is a way of teaching them this is a struggle for them and they want to figure it out themselves if we just spoon feed you know it's like the hovering parent if we just spoon feed them they're not learning anything they're just you know then they expect it but if you struggle uh you know you're you're teaching yourself skills and you're more proud of that accomplishment, man, that wasn't easy for me. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of good about struggle too. Uh, you know, keeping it in uh, is is a sign that that person has really got to drive. They want to figure out this problem. Yeah, and and anytime you're getting better at something, like there's going to be struggle, right? Like there's struggle before there's triumph. There's a lot of work that goes into just getting a tiny bit better. So, um, you know. Uh, that, that definitely makes sense. Uh, do you, uh, so what, what, what's the next topic you wanted to dig into? I know we got cost and value. Is that, is that the next one? Is that how it tied in? Yeah, well, it's, um, it, this one is, it, it kind of like ends the show. It, uh, uh, well, we don't want to do that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Ending, ending the show of HBO. Uh, and this is, Part of the problem with, with uh, if something, let's say you, you bought a car uh, and one car was $100,000 and the other car was a dollar. Um, are you going to treat those cars the same? Probably not. You know, the one cost more, you're going to treat better. Uh, but if you were, let's say you had a friend calling you and said, hey, I, I need to, uh, some help. You know, can you bring your car over here? And you bring over a Lamborghini, but he needed a, a pickup truck. Um, you know, it, it, it's, yeah, it, Lamborghinis are really expensive, but it's, it's just not worth it. It's, it. You don't need that. So cost and value is something, that, and once again, it's natural. It's something I suffer from, is that if, if I'm not charging somebody something, uh, they don't value the, the information or the, uh, the work that I've done uh, to get them better. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's one of those, I guess it's once again, uh, a natural thing for people. 
if they spend a lot more for it, they're going to treat it differently. Uh, but it doesn't give it more value. Um, one of the people I, I like to uh, uh, mention, give a shout out uh, to Phil Andrews. Uh, he is not the highest paid uh, uh, national CEO of the uh, uh, USA Weightlifting. Uh, but if you watch him compared to others, uh, he had a, uh, a meeting with senators about safe sport. And they had uh, the presidents of, of uh, I think it was four different sports. And the, the quality and the value of what he was compared to the others, who, by the way, were making more money than he was. Uh, I can't, uh, that's, Phil is, is value. Uh, he may not be the most expensive, but he is definitely huge value. Uh, that's something that, thank God, uh, uh, USA Weightlifting has. Uh, Phil has got value, even though he may not be the most expensive. There's an example of cost and value. I just want the athletes to know and the, the coaches to know, just because you spend a lot of money for something doesn't mean it's going to get you anything. It's, uh, yeah, go ahead. yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think this ties into a lot of things. So we're talking about materialistic things like, like right now. So say, you know, you have this fancy camera that does replay and, and, and then you kind of get in this paralysis by analysis thing. So you paid a lot of money for it, but how much value is it actually going to bring to you? Whereas, you know, you can watch motivational videos or build routines that are going to have more, a larger impact over the long term. And also you can look at this as like, see, I heard something totally different. <laughs> I heard I need to increase my membership rates. <laughs> Send all your hate mail to me. <laughs> I heard I got to increase my membership rates so that people will value what they're getting more. That's, that's what I, <laughs> no, all kidding aside. No, I, I definitely understand like the way that I've kind of put it in the past is using the correct tool for the job. You know, that's another one to do it. That's what, when you were talking about the Lamborghini and the pickup truck, you know, uh, that's what I was kind of thinking of. I mean, like a screwdriver is a great tool, but if you're trying to drive a nail in, the screwdriver ain't going to help. And if you're trying to drive in a screw, a hammer kind of sucks at that point too. You know, <laughs> you can get the job done, but uh, it's better to use the proper tool for it. So uh, I do like that analogy with the pickup truck and the, uh, the Lamborghini as well, for sure. Well, it's, a, it's the same thing when it comes to programming and certain exercises, right? Like a certain exercise might have a certain cost in terms of like, you know, emptying out the gas tank. You only have so much energy in a day, right? So like, Absolutely. what are you going to do if you're coming, you know, from work and you're doing X, Y, and Z, and then you come into the gym, right? So you got to prioritize things. And I think that most coaches prioritize the exercises that are most important first. Um, and, and then also, you know, you kind of have to fundamentally change things. So how much energy is something else going to take out of you versus like what value is it and and value in weightlifting is like is your snatch and clean jerk going up whereas other sports you know it's it's a different thing right so there's many ways to take cost and value and it's important to like analyze that and really think about those words and and what they mean you know and, and um you know uh like you're saying i think that uh I, I was actually like the first competitive weightlifter to uh use rp and I paid a significant amount of money in order to, uh, to get on RP. And, and I think that it's like when you put a, an investment in, especially at that time, like I was just a weightlifter who had no, no money. So, you know, when I, when I pay this much for a service, this that, you know, essentially proven to work, you know, it works if you put the work in, but when you pay for it, <laughs> damn it, you make sure that you put the work in. And, and I think that that is definitely true. The more, um, amount of money relative to your total income you put towards something, the more you focus on it, you know, most of the time there's exceptions, but most of the time you kind of, uh, you, you focus on that hard. And, and that was my experience with, uh, RP when I did it at first, it was, uh, you know, it's not the same when you just take the template and you're, you no longer are working one-on-one -on -one with the coach who's holding you accountable. And, uh, you know, and that is kind of like another one of the things that, that I put on here. It's like knowledge is not enough. You know what I mean? I had the template in the future, but it's harder to follow when you're not having someone check in with you. You're not embarrassed to say, hey, what do you weigh? And, 
and you go up a pound instead of go down a pound, you know? So when you have that accountability, like one of the things that I wanted to ask you specifically, Tom, is like, what keeps people from executing on their knowledge? And, and we're, uh, you know, before the show, you had said like discipline and some other things. Do you have some other thoughts on that for the listeners? Uh, yeah, this is, this is the, uh, the internal motivation. Um, and, and, you know, that was part of that weakness too, is that it, I can't, I can't force you to do something. Um, it's, it's, and I said this on a a previous show, uh, coaching with a whip or coaching with a leash. Uh, there are certain people that will, will force you to do something. Uh, in your instance, it was, well, I spent a lot of money and I'm going to justify the amount of investment that I had in this thing. Uh, so I'm motivated uh, to get myself uh, to do this. Uh, it, you know, it, if you didn't spend that much, uh, maybe you're not quite motivated. Is that the, the question? I'm, I'm not quite sure if I answered the question there. Well, say somebody, you know, like, like, for instance, with the, the diet plan, like, you know, it, you, you know how to count macros, you know how to do this, you know how to do that, you know a lot about calories, X, Y, and Z, but then you still eat brownie, you know what I mean? Or you, you still have, have a couple of beers. So I guess that's, that's um, what I'm, I'm discussing and what I'm thinking of is like, you know, knowledge is not enough. You have to actually execute on it. So how do you continuously execute on the, the things that you already know? Well, it's, that's part of pattern behavior. Uh, if I've developed these uh, work ethics, um, you know, that uh, one of the uh, athletes that I, I talk to uh, or I work with, uh, they like to buy things uh, specific for the meat. So they, they thought, well, I, you know, I'm motivated. I, I, I made a purchase, uh, although and it's not exactly knowledge. But it's it's trying to get themselves motivated. Uh, as far as knowledge, uh, and, and this is really more for the coaches uh, because hopefully your coaches have more knowledge and are always giving you that that additional knowledge. You don't want too much, or you're overwhelmed. You know, uh, paralysis through analysis. Uh, but uh, never stop learning. I, I guess that's if you think that you know it all, there's your problem. <laughs> Because you don't know it all, and things change. Uh, what we used to do, uh, you know, if it, uh, it give you an example of uh, uh, the Fosbury flop, whereas they used to do the high jump uh, with a scissor kick. They they do a split over it, and of course, uh, the Fosbury flop. He he went over backwards. Well, the knowledgeable uh, coaches said, "This guy's an idiot." until he set the world record. Then they go, this guy's a genius. So <laughs> knowledge is something that you constantly are searching for. And, and it, if you're an athlete, always be looking for, even if you're successful, look for something to enhance. You may not need it at that moment, but it's in your hip pocket. You know that, hey, if, if this isn't working or if I, I need to, to, to get a little bit more either weight or uh, more discipline to not eat that extra uh, cookie. Um, okay, well, maybe this knowledge of what do I need to do or what do I need to focus on will help me not do that thing that I don't have the will to not do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's only so much willpower that you can draw from. And, and willpower is definitely something that, you know, is, is easy to read about. It's easy to look at online. And so that's a, that ties into that pattern behavior like Tom was talking about, making sure that you have good habits because you can know, uh, you know, what you need to do or what you should avoid but without the right kind of habits, eventually your willpower dissipates and you do the wrong things, right? Because we all have like these natural routines in the back of our minds. And sometimes they're not, they're not good ones, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not they are. (laughs) It's like the, when we were talking about the field and and we have a, a, a path that wasn't a good path. Well, let's not get ourselves into that situation. Uh, it, it, you know that, Hey, if I do this, if I, if I go with my friends to the mall and we're going to be passing a bunch of food joints that purposely, 
uh, pipe the smells out into the uh, hallway that are just killing you and it's it's making you weaker let's not do that you know it, it, it we're we're getting into an area that that we know we're weak at so let's not even tempt ourselves let's let's change our our habit we know we have a tendency to not be successful when we go here so let's not go there and that's part of that knowledge is you know what works for you and what doesn't yeah yeah so the routine behaviors if if you uh you know routinely find yourself in that situation and you're falling off the wagon then you you need to kind of analyze that and say hey maybe this isn't the best situation to put myself in because that temptation i can't really resist um yeah, so I, I think that was good. You know, cost and value, knowledge is not enough. And then, uh, you know, coaching with an iron fist. So, you know, a lot of coaches. Before we even go to, to there, I was going to say to be more proactive with that, it's making sure that you're developing the patterns on the path that are going to be successful for you. So not just avoiding the other ones, but also doing the things that you know are going to set you up for success or proactively staying, doing things that you know don't lead to the other things. Like, um if I know I send my wife to the grocery store without me, she's going to come home with ice cream. Then either I need to remind her not to go to the, to get ice cream or I need to go to the grocery store with her. So to make sure that she doesn't come home with ice cream. So um, just something like that, you know, like where, where you're proactively also doing the right behavior, but huh. I let my wife get ice cream. Sounds like, well, like ice cream. Had some ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> I love some ice cream, <laughs> but uh yeah, no, no, that's definitely true. Just understanding like what paths that you can take and what triggers those particular routines that are good and what triggers the ones that are bad and, and avoiding the triggers that are bad and uh, trying to create the ones that are good, right? Um, so that you get and, and, pattern. And also adding that, and this is once again, uh, the the value of, of Walt's experience. Uh, as a newer athlete, they haven't experienced everything, whereas your coach has probably seen it. So that knowledge, rely on their knowledge. Get, let them give you a path that they know has been a successful path. You know, they've seen athletes with that same problem, and this is the solution. So it's not just your own personal knowledge, but seeking other person's knowledge that, that may have uh, different solutions to the same problem. Uh, help you become a better athlete. Yep. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. I was just saying that goes back to a little bit of what you were touching on there, Tom, as a coach too, it's that old uh, quote from Aristotle that, you know, the more, you know, the more you realize you don't know. So, you know, as a coach, you know, if somebody's coming to me with certain things like a pain within their shoulder, that's not relenting rather than me saying, oh, it's no big deal, or you must have slept on it wrong, or anything like that, I'm going to send them to a physical therapist or an orthopedist, somebody that I know has a little more experience and knowledge than I do, and admitting when, when I don't have uh, the base of knowledge that's needed right now. Exactly, exactly. And, and that's where I'm at now. Uh, my knowledge of weightlifting, I, no doubt I love it but my knowledge is is horrible uh, so i know my weakness and i know that if an if a weightlifter comes to me with a technical question uh that's not something i need to be answering <laughs> that's yeah i can learn but uh that's that's knowledge that i don't have i realize i don't have and i'm not going to just throw like you said oh don't worry about it just tough it out go work through it um, that's not going to result in a good uh, outcome. So, yeah, I'm the same way. I, I, I realize that I don't know everything. And I'm uh, constantly reminded of that when I see elite athletes working out and they go into this, uh, well, I'm going to be doing this, and I just blink my eyes and go, okay, <laughs> knock them dead. <laughs> so. Uh, so when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, coaching with an iron fist, so, you know, that's like a technique. A lot of coaches are really tough and, you know, maybe a, a, in a certain cultural setting, that's a positive thing, but maybe in the U S we have a different culture. Um, and, and so, 
let's talk about that for a little bit. Like, does that typically work in the U.S.? Um, how can you be tough as a coach and ba- but also balance, like, you know, not being too tough? And Well, having too much control uh, is, is very dangerous. Uh, a good example would be, um, well, the president of the – or the last president of the IWF having – iron fist control. Uh, how'd that work out for us? Uh, a- another example would be um, uh, gymnastics and the Corollis. Total control of gymnastics. Uh, it's dangerous. It, it, it may not be unsuccessful. I mean, they were obviously successful, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, so there are certain times that I will be stern but it can't be, I, I rule everything. I am the king. You know, you cannot do that. And that's really what the Eastern Bloc countries were doing. That's their philosophy, is that you're going to do what we tell you to do. There's no questioning. You know, look at Putin. You disagree with him, you know, you find yourself in a pine box. That's an iron fist. And it doesn't mean that he's right on everything. And you may be absolutely right on what you disagree with, but that ain't getting you anywhere. So Iron Fist is more, especially back in the 50s, 60s, where um, there was less access to other opinions, other views. Now we have the internet, whereas before the only way we would get information is the news. And, you know, the news could be printed by that country, and that's all you got was their view on, on what was going on. Whereas now the internet gives them access to other information and you have an opinion now, hey, wait a minute, you know, they're telling me this, but uh, these people are saying something different and now I'm going to form my opinion. And that's kind of why the Iron Fist was, was done, was that they don't want you to think anything else. They don't want you to be a dissident. You just do what we tell you to do. And, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, an example of, how that can hold you back. Um, China, you know, the funny thing is that that people are upset that, uh, you know, China is stealing secrets from other countries. We did it to them long before. Um, If you think of the great inventions that the Chinese did, that the Europeans took and made literally billions of dollars in their time, paper, every household has paper. Print, they invented that. Uh, Gunpowder, rockets. I mean, these were huge developments, but they noodles. ruled with an iron fist. What's that? Noodles. Noodles, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the Italians might have had something. I don't know. <laughs> you see, but I it, keep going back to food. I must be hungry tonight. <laughs> <laughs> the... the the point is that if you're ruling with an iron fist, you're not allowing growth. And, and I want my athlete to question because it, it allows them to grow. It may not be the right thing. You know, they may have a, a misconception, but at least they're pushing boundaries. They're not just accepting everything as law. So uh, ruling with an iron fist has a lot of uh, dangers to it and potential holding back uh, an athlete because they're not gonna question. Uh, And it's also part of, uh, we get into fear of failure. If I'm not showing you support, uh, an athlete is not based, or their, their, their whatever, their lift is not based on their ability, but it's based on their willingness. They're not willing to attempt a weight because they're afraid of failure. And that is an iron fist coach that, you know, they, they put that fear of God into them that you will do exactly what I tell you to do. Do not attempt to do anything else. That's holding you back. So it, it, there's a lot of pitfalls. Thankfully. Yeah. The U S doesn't have a lot of, of uh, iron fisted coaches, but we do have them. They're rare. Thank God. But we do have them. And you know, there's the problem is that it is not beneficial most of the time. Uh, there's a better way to do 
coaching or development of a program uh, other than the king. Because I've lived in a dictatorship. I lived in Spain uh, under a dictator. Uh, I know what it's like. It doesn't look any different. You know, the houses, the cars, they look the same. But what you can react to, what you can do, what you can say is totally different. <laughs> they, you know, that was the big joke is, is I'm an American. You can't do this. Well, <laughs> in a dictatorship, yes, they can. <laughs> so once again, let's not try to rule with an iron fist. It does not promote uh, a better athlete. You might get an athlete that, that does well, but I think, if you are more nurturing or, or more allowing them to test the boundaries, I think that's a better overall situation. And I think that's why the U.S. has been so successful, is that we test boundaries. We don't accept just one way. We go, okay, well, let's try it another way. Well, so let me ask you a question. So with the, you know, in terms of weightlifting, with the internet coming around and stuff, and, and I think this goes for like anything, right? There's more information now than ever. So that's a positive thing in some ways, you know, so you can be self-taught, you can learn things. Um, but also it, it, it creates this mindset where anyone can become an expert from researching on the internet. And it, it's almost like information overload, right? So when I started weightlifting, I think that athletes tended to um, maybe trust their coaches more, you know, like you didn't really, there's only a certain amount of coaches around you. You went to them and you train with them and you assume that they had the, the knowledge that you needed. And um, so I wouldn't say that those coaches were coaching with an iron fist per se, but uh, they were, you know, more respected. Now there's more information overall. I think it's a positive thing, but I think that sometimes people, uh, people have a hard time. Like they're always like researching at home and like trying to like find weaknesses in their coach's knowledge or something like that. Well, I mean, it's, that's part of growing. Once again, it, it, things are constantly changing. Uh, but I think that the, the respect comes from a coach is their record. You know, if they're, if they're, uh, you know, one time internet sensation, uh, well do it again. Don't just do it once, do it again. If you can keep continuing to do it, then perhaps that knowledge, that technique that you do is correct. Um, but yeah, the, the, the internet can be down or a downside is um, there's a lot as a coach, there's a lot more questioning of, well, you know, I thought about this or I heard about that. And then, you know, okay, now we got to have a discussion or, I have to go and, and do a little research on, on what are they talking about. Let me take a look at it. Let me see. Um, it, it, we're, we're a limited time. You know, we're, we're trying to do as much as possible in the gym. I don't want to spend uh, all my time on the Internet while you're working out trying to figure out, okay, what did they just say uh, about this? Uh, yeah, I, it does bring less respect. Or I, I have seen less respect uh, for authority figures. And, you know, that goes without saying in today's generation, it's pretty much everywhere, uh, less respect. Um, yeah. As a coach though, oh, go ahead. I think a lot of times too, like, uh, you know, the, in the beginning when people learn a skill, like they, they learn one way to do it at first. And a lot of times there's, you know, multiple ways to do it. So for instance, you know, if you have like a, uh, if you're rolling dice, there's more ways to get to the number seven, right? So you can have four plus three and you can have, you know, six plus one, you know, you're still getting the seven, but there's two different ways. And that's just a simple example to show that, you know, there can be slightly diverging ways of doing something to get to the same place. And uh, I, th I think the further along people get into uh, learning a skill or coaching a skill, they, they know that there's different ways to do things, different techniques and weightlifting per se, different ways to think about it. Uh, but they probably are going to be opinionated uh, about one way. They're going to have like a, a particular like bias towards one way, which is okay because it's, it's the one that they resonate with the most. But uh, you know, the longer you're in things, the, the more you realize like, Hey, there's different ways to do this. Yeah. And that's, you know, this is a good little segue back to uh, the cost of value. Uh, a coach, just because you haven't been able to uh, coach a world champion, doesn't mean you're not a good coach. Um, 
you can be a great coach. It's just you didn't have one walk into your door. Uh, but for the, the athlete, um, if you're having a coach that, that doesn't work with you or doesn't, is not giving you the results that you were hoping for, it wouldn't be, you know, don't blame the coach. It's, it's, it just didn't work out. We, we, didn't, we didn't mesh. It's not that they didn't have a skill, and it's not that I as an athlete don't have a skill. It's just that we don't mesh. And, uh, you know, it, don't bash in that. It, you know, I, I want to get back to the, to the respect thing. Um, I don't like uh, when, when an athlete or a coach uh, bashes uh, a previous client. Uh, you know, you had said that about Ronda Rousey, where, you know, they loved her when she was successful, and then they bash her. Um, that bothers me because these both sides have legitimate uh, successes. And just because it didn't work doesn't mean one or the other is, is less valued. They're both equally good. They just didn't mesh. That's okay. How many pro football players or pro football teams change their coaches? And the funny thing is the coach goes from one team to another NFL team. It's like, well, if they were that lousy, why are you hiring them on the other, uh, on the other team? Well, it's not. It just it wasn't a good fit. Yeah, so, uh, I think fit, fit is so important, you know, and, and ultimately what it comes down to is like the person with the most knowledge may not be the best coach for you. And, and I've said this before, it's like you need to find the best coach for you. Not that, now, there might be a somehow people try to quantify like who's the best coach and, and that's difficult to quantify because like it doesn't really matter who absolutely is the best coach. Like as an athlete, you need to find the best coach for you personally and that's when you're going to get the best results for you personally. And, um, and I think that's something that a lot of people miss and they're just, they're looking at like, who's the best coach. I'm going to try to work with that person, even though that person may not be the right or the best coach for you personally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not the right fit. And it, once again, if they had a, a high cost, uh, are you getting value for that? No, it didn't work for you. Uh, that was a waste of money. And you tried, I know you tried, <laughs> but it didn't work. And we, we've seen before, you know, in general, I think that uh, athletes who stay with uh, one or two coaches do better. I mean, that's just something that we typically see because it takes a long time to get to know someone. Um, but also at the, at the same time, you do see occasionally like, you know, an athlete works with a certain coach and, and uh, you know, they've, they've been in the sport for a little while, but then that coach seems to, uh, get a lot out of that athlete. And, you know, um, I could use an, an example of like Jess Lucero. Jess Lucero started with uh, uh, Danny Cormargo a long time ago and and great coach, great athlete. Um, and and they, they meshed okay, but eventually uh, Jess got a lot more out of her training when she was working with uh, Amy Everett and eventually um, ended out hitting her best lifts with her. I mean, she had other coaches that got a lot out of her, but that mesh was really, really good. Now, is Amy going to be the best coach for everyone? Maybe not, but she worked with Jess particularly very, very well. And, and I think that that is a, a good example of like who was the best coach for her at that time because obviously time can change things, right? But uh, at that particular moment, they worked really well together and she was able to get more out of Jess than other coaches who are also very good coaches and have developed other athletes. So um, you're right. The coach athlete uh, relationship, like not every coach is going to get the most out of every single athlete. And, and funny, you should mention Jess because she did have a post I just read. And that was one of the uh, things she had mentioned was the, uh, uh, the number of coaches that she had changed was creating uh, a problem uh, with her physical. Uh, she was getting injuries because the coaches were, liking different ways of doing, you know, different techniques, different ways of training. And so uh, she was constantly changing uh, the, the way she was training, which is uh, frustrating because uh, you're in a learning curve all the time, but you're at the most elite level. And once again, you can't fail. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's tough. But if it was ultimately up to the athlete to decide, okay, this coach, I think I've gone as far 
as I can with this coach. I'm going to try another coach. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that coach was no good. Like you said, Amy, uh, she's a very good coach uh, and a very good athlete, I might add. Um, she knows her stuff. Uh, just because an athlete uh, says, well, I don't want to work with him, doesn't mean that coach isn't a good coach. It's, we didn't mesh. That's okay. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't try to change. You have been successful uh, and that works for you. You know, yeah, I can learn. I can, I can grow, but um, I wouldn't base a coach's worth on their athletes because there could be an athlete that's incredible who just walked into a gym. Um, you know, a, an example would be um, uh, Simone Biles. She just walked into a gym. The girl that was coaching her was, was, I mean, I'm sure she's a nice girl, but from what I understood, she wasn't at the elite level. And the coach realized, uh, I'm in over my head. <laughs> so she gave her to another coach. Uh, but there's an example of, you know, you had a phenomenal athlete. Uh, did that make you a great uh, superstar coach? No, not really. Do it again. <laughs> if, if you keep doing it, then okay, yeah, you're a pretty good coach. But a one and done is not something that, uh, uh, you know, if you're looking for a coach, that's, that's not something that's going to guarantee that you got a great coach. So let me, ask, it denied it. let me ask you one question. So say, in, you know, um, in, an athlete is getting better, but they have a hard time seeing it and they leave their coach. Like, how do you make sure and communicate with your athletes like their successes? Um, because, and, and like you want people to aspire to the highest level you want them to, and you, you ingrain that in their mind and, and the mental side of things and how you manifest your own destiny and all these great things. But is it possible to expect too much out of yourself and not see the successes that you are making because you're not progressing as fast as you wanted to, or you have unrealistic expectations of your progress curve? Now I've actually had experience with this one. Um, I, I guess the, if, if you've ever watched this show, uh, the older shows, what was that? Uh, uh, it was a musical. They were singing uh, American Idol. And they would have these people that thought in their heads that they could sing. And of course, everybody knew that, no, they couldn't. So yeah, an athlete in that situation, we all have our limits. You know, it's just the way it is. Um, changing a coach is probably not going to change if you're getting your limit, your maximum, unlikely. Uh, so that's the unrealistic expectations. Not everyone is an Olympian. Now, as far as progress, um, if, 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 I can, uh, if I can quantify some type of progress, uh, either I, I've got the higher weight, uh, more consistent, um, you know, looking smoother, feeling better, uh, those are things that you can use as a, to quantify your success. It doesn't have to just be a number or, uh, you know, some metal, uh, because if you're going to these garbage meets, uh, I remember one, one athlete, he went to, uh, he was a, a swimmer and he went to a meet and he won everything he swam in. And he thought, I'm going to the Olympics. I dominated. And so he signed up for a year round team and he went it to, to the, uh, the first meet there and he lost everything. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, there are athletes that originally get this huge expectation that I'm really, really good. And then they have to taste the bitter reality of, well, you're good in that small pond, but you're not really that good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think there's a lot of athletes that, you know, are really good and they are on the cusp and, and uh, you know, they kind of make, make that change at the point um, when, when they're very, very close or when they already have reached, you know, a very high level. So it's just kind of a curious question and uh, just kind of to get your take on the mindset and how a coach can really like ingrain in their athlete's mind, like, Hey, like, you know, let's look back six months from now, let's check out the technique. Um, you know, so from a mental perspective, 
these athletes can really see like, okay, like over the past year, I've gotten better. And you mentioned some things there, you know, consistency at certain percentages. That's super, super important. Can you open higher, you know, and, and be sure that you're going to make it. That's super important in a competition that's really tight. Um, and, and then just in general, like obviously for PRs going up, you can see that. But even if your PR is only going up one or two kilos, uh, but your consistency and your techniques totally changed. A lot of times you've gotten a lot better than you even realize. So just uh, something to keep in mind out there in, in general is like being able to see your wins and understand the, the progress that you have made. So. Yeah, it's not based on wins. It, it Once again, it's an individual thing. Uh, and we talked about that before the perception. Uh, certain people are happy uh, even though, we would look at it and go, oh, that's the, the poor person there. But no, for them, they're, they're content. Uh, and, and not everybody in the gym is trying to make the Olympics. They love the sport. They're doing it because they want to be good at it. They know they're not going to go to the Olympics. You know, a person uh, uh, who starts late in their career has a pretty good understanding that they're not going to be going uh, to the Olympics. Do they walk out of the gym and go, no, because I'm not going to be a uh, a world champion. I'm not going to do this. No, you're doing it for you. And, and that's really what I want to motivate the athlete is, is that we don't have to have uh, medals or, or, and we don't even have to go to competition. We can do this in the gym. But like you said, there, there are things that can keep you motivated uh, progress because that's a big deal for athletes. They want to see progress. They don't want to just go into the gym. What's the point? So let's, let's, let's not make one thing the definition of progress. We got to open up their mind to there are several things that are indicating progress. Definitely. Yeah. And I think a lot of times athletes, you know, I've, I've come across athletes that have a tough time because um, even when they're making progress, especially early on, they have this, um, the progress that they're making isn't matching what their expectations are on the timeline. Um, and they could be making a tremendous amount of progress in little, you know, here's a, a one kilo PR here, a two kilo PR here, or another one kilo PR here. And at the end of the, whatever the say six months, they've added eight kilos to the lift or say 10 kilos to the lift. And, but they are more impressed and they get more excited about the person who doesn't PR at all for those six months and then hits an eight kilogram PR where they're better, they've actually made more progress than the other person. But because the other person had that bigger win, seemingly, um, they, they kind of tend to get down on themselves, like, you know, kind of hang on their head because they only hit a one or two kilo PR. And, you know, so for me, you know, uh, when I have those type of athletes, and I've had, you know, many of them, it's just kind of, I've, I've tried to you know, kind of point out that there's a lot of people in here that would take that one or two kilo PR uh, on any given day. So like, let's definitely, you know, have an attitude of gratitude and and count our blessings. But is there um, any, when we're talking about, you know, pattern behavior and doing those, those type of things, is there any strategies that I can give them besides just, you know, uh, the obvious to me, which is just kind of, um, what I have done, which is kind of tell them to be appreciative, um, you know, understand that this is how the process works and explaining it to them. Um, is there any other analogies or any other strategies that you have that might be helpful? Yeah, yeah, this is, and, and uh, <laughs> once again, this is from experience. Um, everybody knows what everybody else is doing. You know, it's like, well, they're not you. Their practice is not your practice, okay? They're, but everybody knows what everybody else is doing. I want you to start focusing on you. You know, be a little bit self-centered here. We're working on you and you alone. Somebody's success next to me doesn't mean mine isn't successful. You know, it, it, you can't base your worth on somebody else. So if I need to, oh, well, they had an eight, eight, uh, kilo uh, jump and I only had a three that's you're not them okay focus on you that's the only thing we can control 
And when you start looking at everybody else and what everybody else is doing, well, that's them and you can't control them. Stop looking at them or the numbers they're doing. Does that change what you're doing? No, not really. I mean, yes, we are in competition with them. It might intimidate me. You know, if I'm sitting next to somebody that's, that's knocking out these numbers, yeah, it's intimidating, but it's also motivating. You know, look at how good this guy is. I want to be like him, you know? So uh, it's okay to admire. Hey, good for them. Good for them. And maybe they can ask them. That's part of that team bonding. Uh, what were you doing? Maybe I can try something like that. Uh, but focusing on, on their success, meaning your success is, is something or isn't anything, um, you can't do that. You've got to focus from within. Stop looking at everybody else. Start looking at yourself because that's the only person you can control in the gym. Yeah, and the only thing that you can, re you know, it's important that uh, you focus on the things that you need to do that are, are going to help you get better. And I think it's uh, it's tough when the, in the Instagram world, you know, when you're in competition with someone, it's like there's all this like one-up stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it is distracting and it does become like this like, uh, you know, worm wormhole of – of uh, just like competition on Instagram really. And so you, you, it's easy to get distracted in it. But at the end of the day, you know, we talk about a lot, how has training changed since Instagram and YouTube videos and all that stuff came out because some of your like popularity and worth and, you know, some people who do weightlifting full time, their income relies on putting out content. And so it changes things tremendously. Um, so, so that's kind of its own, subject but one of the things that we discussed pre-show and we only have a few minutes so I want to make sure that we get to it is uh you know mental blocks and one of the things is like not focusing on the weight that's something that uh that Tom you talk about a lot and us as weightlifting coaches we talk about a lot is like the problem is is that if you've been into weightlifting for a long time you can look at a bar and see exactly what what weight is on it within about uh, millisecond <laughs> at least at least know within a couple kilos right so uh we had talked about what if there was some discs that were the same weight and you know the coach can load them and have you do like an emom so you really have no idea what's on the bar um that'd be great because you could truly not focus on the weight and um you know as far as like not knowing what weight is on the bar I would honestly love it if I didn't know what weight was on the bar. But like I said, I've been doing this sport so long. I can look at a bar, even if it's black plates that aren't really labeled. And I have an idea. Like I know what 160 looks like. I know what 150 looks like, what 140 looks like. So how can you do all that you can, you know, and you've worked with a lot of athletes at different levels, just to focus on the task at hand, not, not look at the weight on the bar, but just approach it and execute your uh, movement. Well, the story I use is uh, marathon runners, and it's basically a line in your head. Uh, and marathon runners believe that at a certain mile, uh, you hit a brick wall. And, you know, for weightlifters, it's a certain number. So the reason why we're trying to change that, uh, that knowledge of there's your line is so you don't think about that. And a weightlifter should not be changing their lift, the way they lift, with the, the difference of weights. It should all look the exact same. So, you know, once they start getting toward their limits, that's one of the problems that coaches see is they start lifting differently. They're, they're, they're starting to do things they never did before. And you're like, well, what happened? Eh, it's going up here. I'm getting close to my line. So what we're really talking about is that, We've drawn a line, and that's the basal ganglia, saying that, oh, hey, there's your limit. And so if I can remove that mental line to say, I don't know what this is, um, you're more successful because you're not focused on where your limit is. You're just focused on lifting. And that's why uh, during a competition, I say just look at the bar. Don't look at what's on the weight or, or what, what weight's on the bar. Just look at the bar. Um, an example, and this is uh, a, a little technique we'll give uh, as a, uh, a test to see about mental limits, is that let's say we're doing uh, three sets of 15. We're going to be doing volume here. And if you do, you know, 
one to counting, one to 15, when you get to about 12, 13, you're going to start feeling it. And by the time you get to 15, man, it hurts. And you'll do that three times a succession. Well, try this. It's called chunking. Start out with like, go, don't stop, but we're going to do 15 in a different count. So we'll do six, five, four, which adds up to 15. Or we can totally confuse you and just start throwing out random numbers. Uh, do a five, uh, do a four, do a three, do, and, and, you know, work your way up to 15. And while you're counting, you know, you're, if you're doing it that way, it's a lot harder because you're, you're trying to think of where you're at, you know, but the good thing is you're not thinking about the arms. It's, it's, you're doing it. You, you know, the arms are not feeling, although you will feel lactic acid, but it's not, you're not making that limit in your head. And that's really what's happening is, is that we draw these lines and it's hard to get past that. So what we're trying to do with this change the weights or, or hide the weights is really change the line in our head. Don't let that line be a factor uh, to, to my lift because if it's close to my maximum, I start looking different. I start acting different. You know, you see it all the time. They'll start hyping themselves up. What, what do you need to do that for? You know, and then they learn it. it's pattern behavior. They see it, somebody else doing it, so they think, oh, well, that must work because I'll do that too. <laughs> it doesn't work. It's just their nervous habit. And it's basically setting you up. It's cueing your brain that, hey, we're about to do something tough here. I don't want that. I want you to do the same lift, you know, as a, a light lift, easy lift, hard lift. You're doing it the same way. So that's why we want to try to hide the weight or change the numbers uh, so we don't get into that habit of drawing a line in your head. Yeah, that's definitely true. So if there's any plate manufacturers out there that can make discs that are the same <laughs> width, just black plates, no, no colors, no nothing like that, uh, you know, or maybe you make a, what looks like a 25K disc and it's really 27 or whatever. <laughs> Or as Walt said, you can put, uh, you know, different colored plates on one side that equal the same amount as the other, which would really be confusing because both sides would look different. <laughs> yeah, some people have said, you know, if you if you put uh, trash bags over the weights, so the coach loads it, put trash bags over, you're doing an EMOM, you're just kind of going through it. Um, you know, people have had a lot of success doing um, EMOM workouts, you know, every minute on the minute, just doing like, you know, 10 snatches, 12 snatches, um, and, and just adding weight each rep and not really like consciously having the ability to like think about it or build fear in your mind about the weight. Um, so usually when you get just slightly fatigued, your technique gets a little crisper. You don't really care what weight's on the bar. You're like sweating the clock is going and you just walk up to it and execute. And um, so maybe some different strategies to use. If anyone has any good ideas out there to implement something like that, uh, that are creative that we didn't come up with, just let us know because I think, uh, you know, knowledgeable weightlifters are what you're trying to create. But at the same time, when you know too much and you can just tell what weights on the bar, you start drawing those lines and that, uh, and, and also you start drawing lines based on what other people have done in the past, you know, you're like, oh, person X was a great weightlifter. They were the best. So, you know, I... An example... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. The example would be most people don't realize that uh, Usain Bolt made the 2004 Olympics as a 400-meter runner, and he hated it. And so he asked the coach, hey, I want to be a 100-meter runner. Um, and, of course, the rest is history. So... Uh, you know, getting back to, if, if they thought, hey, I could be better at this, um, as, as far as, as your limit, hey, uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a sprinter, I'm a distance runner. Well, he, he believed he was a sprinter, even though the coaches didn't know it. So your limit, once again, if we can, if we can move that limit or at least not make it so prevalent in the brain, uh, we can get a lot more success. Definitely, definitely. Um, well, cool. So knowledge is power, but sometimes that knowledge, you know, if you if you look at 
some competitor in the past and you're like, Hey, they got to here. So that's my limit. You know, you don't want to draw limits based on people from the past. You want to focus on yourself and just continuously refine your movement and go for it. And also be able to celebrate your small wins and see your own progress so that you can stay motivated to keep going. Um, I think that that is, uh, you know, we've been on for a little over an hour. We did want to talk about more is better. Um, so, so maybe we can hit on that for a couple minutes and then call it a, uh, uh, an episode, but, uh, you know, more is better. What exactly does that mean, Tom? Well, no, it's actually, people, people believe, believe that, 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 right, right. If, if you're, if you're, and, and this is really based on the, the sixties and seventies when they started doing steroids and, you know, these athletes were able to do a lot more and they were extremely successful while well, the problem was, uh, they were taking steroids. And our, our belief now is that, oh, yeah, if I train more, I'll become better. And that's not the case. You're actually, once again, it's risk-reward. We're, we're taking much more risk, and we're not getting the gains. So that is uh, kind of a myth. It's, it's, once again, that's focused, as Walt was saying, uh, get the athlete to focus on themselves and not what everybody else is doing. You'll become more successful because that's the only person you can control. Exactly. Yeah. There's definitely a correct amount of volume. It's like an inverted U. So you're going to get the most out of your training if you're at the right volume, right intensity. And, and that can change from week to week, right? You have outside stress. So for the most part, you should try to build habits where your weeks are similar so you can, you know, train in a certain way, but that's, that's sometimes impossible to actually execute on. Um, so with that being said, guys, uh, do you guys have any other topics that you, you'd like to hit on before we end this? No, I think the listeners have had enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, Tom, uh, tell, tell us once again where people can find you on social media. Uh, I have a Facebook page, uh, Tom Maloney, or I have a LinkedIn account. Same thing. I think it says uh, Tom Maloney uh, uh, coach at Tokyo Olympics or something like that. Uh, so I have that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Walt, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on uh, Instagram and Facebook at either Walt Neubauer or at Wilmington Weightlifting Club. Cool. Well, for the listeners out there, this was Tom Maloney, um, the brain expert. And <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> and, and Walt Neubauer, coach of the Wilmington Weightlifting Club. Um, you know, we had a pretty good episode. Hopefully you guys learned some stuff out there. Um, and, uh, you know, we have a good relationship with Tom, as you guys can see, we've had him on a few times. So if you have any other questions or things you would like us to talk about with Tom, please let us know. Um, if you have any other, uh, folks that you would like to see on the podcast, let us know that as well in, in topics and, and whatever else you would like to hear from us. Cause, uh, we do this for the listeners and we want you guys to get what you want out of it. Uh, hope everybody has a, uh, good rest of the week attack it lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once actually do i have to say yes you do in the car before my kids pta meeting really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky i never win and tell well there you have it you can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com play for free right now are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details